If you do have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 2. Marcia uh, read that passage for us today. And we have been spending this Advent season just looking at these themes of light and life. We took a break from our Gospel of John, but it doesn't always feel like we took a break from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, these themes of light and life have been what have been carrying us through this Advent season. And, and I hope, like me, you guys are in this season where in our world we are just looking for some light. In a world of darkness, we're looking for some light. More than just the, the, the hum of our TV screens or our tablets or our phones. Like we need real light, like a sunrise kind of a light. A light that will give us life. And we're also looking for in this world of darkness and uh, in, a, in a world where there's all kinds of practices that don't lead to life, we're looking for life as well. And we want to find these two, these, these two things that go together, especially in the Gospel of John, that Jesus is the light of the world, and he is the light of men, and in that light there is life. And so I thought as we, we put a cap on this Christmas season, that a good place to go of people who really did love light, that we would look at this story of the Magi, the wise men, the three kings. Um, anyway, wait, so, and there's a few things I just want to note, and I do know that you have really good food waiting for you elsewhere. I know the donuts were great, okay, but in, that, in light of that, I just want to hit a few things, a few reflections on the Magi and how they relate to these themes of light and life. You guys with me? All right, here we go. Let's keep up the pace here. You're like, let's get back to the presence, Pastor Craig, okay, um, so hang with me, kids. This is great. All right, so first of all, here's the first thing to note about the Magi. The Magi were outsiders. The Magi were outsiders. If you look at Matthew 2 and verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And here's the deal about the Magi. It says, in, in my Bible, it says the Magi, or it says the wise men. And then there's a little footnote that says Magi. And here's the deal. Um, we have that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Um, we commonly call these guys the wise men when we bought our nativity set. This was the, 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 the wise men. And uh, one, of, one of the things we just need to know is that these guys were neither wise nor kings. They weren't, they were not insiders. These guys were outsiders. And when we think about magi, the word magi in the ancient world, these magi did not have great reputations in the ancient world. Activities of those referred to the magi include, you ready? Fortune telling, right? I don't know if they had Ouija boards, but if they had them, I'm sure the magi would have been using them. Astronomy, astrology, those are different, by the way, just those keeping score at home. Um, sorcery. They were priests of foreign religions. They were explainers of dreams. They were magicians of varying degrees of plausibility. Our English words magic and magician come from the word magi. And they would be regarded, they were on this spectrum regarded on, uh, in terms of their competencies, whether they would be a huckster or how wicked or honorable they would be. And so in the, in the Bible, so when we read in, the, in this Christmas story and we hear that magi from the east have come, we're not thinking, oh, we three kings of Orient are. That's not what's coming through the, the, the first reader's minds. 
they're thinking that these guys are shady. These are shady dudes from foreign countries who, who are fortune tellers and, and stargazers and astrologers. They might have had, I don't know if they would have had this, but when I think, you know, like some kind of neon sign, fortunes read here, like palms or whatever. Anybody with me on this? This is what these guys would have been. Among those also named as magi in the Bible. They're not the only magi that are mentioned in the Bible. Simon Magus, in Acts chapter 8, he tries to buy the power of bestowing the Holy Spirit. Magi. Elimus, the magician in Acts chapter 13, he's bugging the Apostle Paul. He's struck blind and he's called a false prophet and a blasphemer. Magi. In the Old Testament, Balaam, in Numbers 24, is called a magi. He says, and he's also from the east, like our guys here, and his allegiances are questionable at best. He's paid to prophesy against the nation of Israel, and only after his donkey warns him not to, does he stop. And it's, what's also awesome is that Balaam is the one who prophesies that a star will rise over Israel. Magi. What the heck? Magi from the east. Now, I don't, I, so magi do not happen to have the most stellar records in the ancient world. See what I did there? Stellar. The groan, see? There's no second service where I can cut this stuff out, guys. So anyway, um, most of the magi in the ancient world are associated with either Persia or Babylon, Iraq, or Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. Now, not every reference to a magi, a magus, in the Old Testament is bad. Daniel, after he interprets the dream, because that's what magi do, is made the chief of the magi in Babylon. So Daniel then, by association, becomes a magi. All right, you guys with me? I mean, this is, this is, we're like, this is not the Christmas sermon I was expecting here. I thought, you know, baby Jesus in a manger. No, we're talking about fortune telling and stargazing. Anyway, all that to say, one thing that Magi were not, they were not kings. And they were probably not considered wise, at least in the Jewish tradition. According to our passage, there is no mention of the number of Magi. We three kings. There is not three. There are three gifts. And the tradition then goes that there are three guys who bring those gifts, but it just says magi plural. More than one. Okay, so two to, I don't know, five, the caravan of sorts. So instead of um, we three kings of Orient, we could sing we foreign men of questionable character and religious affiliation. More than one, perhaps three, maybe more. Okay, you get the idea. All right, so... So, I, and I don't want to disparage our Magi because our Magi in, in Matthew, as they come to Jesus, they do seem to come with motives, with good motives, with motives intact. And what we will see is that these are unexpected visitors, unconventional, unorthodox, they are outsiders. And I suppose this is the first thing that I just want us to pay attention to. As we look at the Christmas story, as we think about the Christmas story, as we come into our Christmas day, when we hear the story of Christmas, 
and we hear, this, we hear the, the description of people as the high, the elite, the powerful, the triumphant, we should immediately have a check on ourselves. When we look at the Christmas story, this is God pouring out his grace on a nobody teenage girl in the nowhere town of Nazareth. Joseph is like a John Doe of the ancient world, and when God wants to get the message out, he tells shepherds. We should immediately have a check when these guys show up. These are not the politically elite. These are not the powerful. These are like the rest of the characters. Even like God himself to our world is an outsider. It didn't start that way, but that's how it is. And all of the characters who God pours out his grace on are outsiders. They are the ones who are far off. And these guys literally are far off. I love in the Gospel of Luke that Simeon, when he prophesies, he says, a light will shine on those who are far off. And in Matthew, we have these magi who literally have a light shone on them from far away. So the first thing, these guys are outsiders. You guys with me? They're outsiders. They're outsiders, like we are, that our sin might put us on the outside. We are not the powerful. We are not the wealthy. We are not the elite. And even if you do have a lot of money, you are still an outsider. And God comes, God seems to have a particular soft spot for those who are lowly, for those who are humble. Humble yourself before the Lord. Sometimes we like to say, humble yourself before the Lord or he will do it for you, right? But we, we gladly come, we come on this Christmas day to humble ourselves, to take our place among the lowly, among the nobodies, among the people like Mary and Joseph and shepherds and these crazy people, because I know some of you. I'm just kidding. Okay, all right, all right. Let's keep going. So I don't want to disparage them, but they are far off and they fit very well within the Christmas story. Look at what they're doing in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1. They literally are looking for light in the darkness. Look at 2, 2. So wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What I love about the Magi is the Magi literally are people who are looking for light in the darkness. They're looking at stars. They're looking at the night sky. In the darkness, they're looking for the only light that there is. And I think in the Jewish tradition, this is exactly what the, 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 well, the well-intentioned Gentiles are, is they are people living in darkness that are looking and straining their eyes to see whatever light there might be. And these guys find an, an, a, unique, a unique astral phenomenon. They see unique light. It's unique light that they see. Now, what exactly? This is what the Bible calls a star, an austere. We saw his star in the east. Now, here's the deal. There are all kinds of theories about what the Magi saw. You want to hear a few? You're like, even if you don't, you're going to hear them. Okay, here we go. So there's various theories about what sort of astral phenomena this star 
is. And they all have various levels of plausibility. And so if we go back into the night sky, actually, it's not difficult to go. Um, you can go like to Santa Ana City College to actually have a nice, um, the Bethlehem star and what it could be and all of those things. But here's a couple of, uh, of options. In 5 BC, there is, according to Chinese records, a comet appears for 70 days. A comet. Comets have a kind of erratic behavior. Tail up, the, the comet could be like, you know, do, 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 you know, this way to baby Jesus. Okay, I, okay that's because comets have the... Okay. Could be also, could be also um, what we call a nova or a supernova. When a star bursts and it, 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 it blazes out, it lights up, it, it has a, a brief moment of lighting up the sky, and that could be another possibility. There is also a record that um, there was a nova in 5 BC as well with the comet. Another theory is that it could be a conjunction of the planets that form the famous star. Um, Venus and Jupiter are the two brightest stars, although they're not stars, they're planets, but in the ancient world, anything in the night sky would have been an austere, a star. Uh, Venus and Jupiter are the two brightest stars in the sky on any given night. And um, in August of 3 BC, there was a conjunction of Venus and Jupiter. And that occurred the very next year on June 17th. And this might explain, because so, our star in this, the, the light that they see has a little bit of erratic behavior. It shows up on Christmas morning, although probably not on exactly December 25th, but it shows up on the day that Jesus is born. And then it, guide, it guides into a certain point, but then it disappears because of, uh, later in the story, it reappears. And when it reappears, they have a, they have a reaction to that. So our star does something interesting here. It, go, it, it, it shines, and then it goes away, and then it returns. A um, couple other options here. Uh, let's see. Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars align in 7 BC. Uh, this is mentioned in, um, uh, in, on cuneiform tablets in, from Babylon. Uh, the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn uh, happened actually, a very similar conjunction happened a couple of years ago in 2020. Um, anyway, all that to say, of course, the other thing is that the star could simply be a supernatural occurrence. Could be a supernatural occurrence that only three, these three guys could see. Could have been an angelic visitation, something like that. In any event, when the astral phenomena appears, they're looking for it. They're looking for light. They're looking for light in the darkness. And I think for us, we can just go about our days in the darkness. We live in a dark world and we can walk through and go through the motions every day. And we can just walk through it. And sometimes we miss, there's so much light around. There's so much light we can't even see the stars. You might think it's because of the smog. It's not because of the smog, it's because of the lights. There's so much artificial light. If you want to see stars, go to a place where there's no lights. And sometimes as we walk in the darkness, we live in, sometimes um, I have a friend, Ryan, he calls it um, that Orange County is a shiny darkness. We live in a shiny darkness. There's so much light. There's so much faux light that we can miss the real light. But these guys were not going to miss any light. They stayed up late to see unique light. And when they found it, it set them out on a journey. They did not sit still. One of the very interesting things about this story is when they come 
Whatever they saw, it takes them to Jerusalem, the capital city, and they expect to find a king in the capital city, and they do find a king in the capital city, but this king is so busy with his own self and his own stuff that, and sitting on his rear end, he won't even go the 12 miles away where the prophecy says that this baby's going to be born. These guys set out on a thousand-mile journey, but the people in Jerusalem won't even travel 15 miles to go see. These guys go on a journey because they saw the light. And when they saw the light, they said, we have to go. We have to go. We have to get out there. We've been watching for the light. We see the light, and now the light has moved us out. So they're looking for light. They're outsiders looking for light. I think one of the things, the third thing about the Magi is when they see the light, it not only sets them out on a journey, but that journey is characterized by joy. In verse 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. They go to Bethlehem where that prophecy tells them to go. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know what your, what your translation is. If you, um, uh, I think uh, Marsha's translation said uh, they were overwhelmed with joy. The NIV says they were overjoyed. My translation says, if I can read this here, it says that when the star they had seen, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In Greek, what it says is they rejoiced a joy great and exceedingly. And this is actually, this is a, a borrow from the Jewish tradition. In the Jewish tradition, if you do something excessively, you take the noun and the verb and you put them together. So if you weep bitterly, you weep with weeping. But if you experience great joy, then you joy, you rejoice with joy. And what it says here is not only do they rejoice with joy, they do it exceedingly abundantly. So here's the deal. You've got three guys, I don't know three guys. We've got more than one guy that's out there and they've made this long journey and they've just come from this totally smarmy king dude who's like, we're not going back there. We got to find another way home because this guy's like, I don't know what's going on there, but there's no king there. They realize that and they set out, they come down, and they, but they don't know where, they, they, the place that they thought they were going to find the king, they didn't find the king. And then the very same, whatever it was that they saw at the beginning, it shows up again. And for some reason, like when, they, when God, they take it as God's guidance, and when they realize that God is guiding them, there's a joy that wells up within them. And it's not just a joy. They rejoice with joy exceedingly. I don't know when the last time you rejoiced with joy exceedingly. Think of, just think for a second. When was the last time, when was the last time the joy was so much welling up within you, you could not contain it? That it made you giddy, that it made you excited, that it got you out of bed in the morning, that you were ready to go, that you forgot about all the other things and you just said, we got to do this. They rejoiced with joy, great and exceeding they were overjoyed when they saw the star they were overwhelmed with joy i don't know when the last time was god maybe gave you 
a clear path, some guidance. Maybe a little bit of wind at your back. Maybe in a season where you just feel like you've been hitting headwinds. And maybe it's, you're like, man, it's been a long time, but look, God, I am, looking, I am looking for light and I'm looking for joy. And look, I, for us as believers, as human beings, we can run on all kinds of fuel. We can run on all kinds of fuel in our life. Like, look, if you want to, you, you can manipulate people with guilt, like some of you parents out there, grandparents, like, you, you know how to manipulate. I'm just kidding, okay? You know how to push the buttons. You know how to push all the right buttons. Look, you can get people to do a lot of things by manipulating them with either guilt or with shame. Or we see it in our world. We see people manipulate people with fear all the time. Just turn on your television. Watch some football games today. Every advertisement that comes on is going to be some kind of play on your fear. Look, you can run on that fuel. You can run on that fuel for a little bit. But just like your car, you put the wrong fuel in, you are going to go down. You're not going to change. It's going to, it's going to wear out. But I got news for you. When you're running on joy, when the fuel you are running on is joy, man, that will move you and it burns clean. It will not send you down the wrong path. When you do things out of joy, it will send you down a path that you will never regret. When you do things out of fear or guilt, it will send you down a path that you will regret. But if you're running on joy, look, when you run on joy, you will run, you will bless the people around you and you will wake up in the morning ready to go, ready for light. Because God, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed and it moved them in a direction that was unexpected, but they did not regret it. We're talking about them 2,000 years later because they moved out in joy, in joy. And just this Christmas, this Christmas season, like we've got, we have to say, we have to, especially we're entering in, I don't know if anybody knew this, but we're entering into the next presidential election cycle. Does anybody realize this is happening? Like buckle down, I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know is this, I don't, I, I want to watch the fuel that I'm running on. Because if, I, if I'm not keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus, why does Jesus go to the cross? Hebrews chapter 12 says this, that Jesus, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Look, we got to learn how to run on joy. We've got to learn how to run on joy. And if there is, if there's, look, if there's a little bit of lack of joy, tell the Lord. Tell the Lord. Not every season's the same. It's okay. And if you're like, look, Jesus, I need some joy, Jesus will hear that prayer. And there are seasons of our lives where we're more oriented or disoriented. That, that's, a, that's a life of faith. But it's never wrong, read the Psalms, it's never wrong to ask God for joy. The, David, after he commits a horrible sin, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. That's a 3,000-year-old prayer that has been prayed by believers generation after generation. Thousands of generations have asked God for joy. These guys saw the star. They were ready to see the light. They were looking for light, and when the light showed up, it gave them the joy that they were expecting. They were outsiders. They were looking for light, and they journeyed with joy. 
the last thing they did is they gave gifts. They had this joy, and when they arrived to work, they arrived. Jesus was about two. They come later because uh, Herod asks, hey, when, is, when did you guys first see this? And then Herod uses that information to go back and slaughter all the children that are under two. I mean, this is a horrible story. The Bible is, is a book for adults, by the way. Um, it's a horrible, that's a horrible Christmas story, right? But that's what he does. He's probably about two years old when, when they come. And what they do is they come unorthodox, but when they came, they bowed and they gave gifts. Verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, the most reliable treasure in the Probably the frankincense and myrrh, um, various spices of value, uh, oftentimes used for burial, uh, and maybe a little bit of foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. I think just as we, in this Christmas season, as we head into the new year, just to be thinking like, how can I be responding to God? How can I be responding to his guidance? How, what gift can I bring him? What gift can I give him? Maybe a gift of time. Maybe a gift of attention. Maybe just a, a gift. Uh, maybe just an investment in a ministry. But to give a gift, a gift of time, energy, investment, attention, something of that nature as we enter into this next season. I think the last thing about the Magi, when they show up, they're unexpected, shady, foreign dudes who like fortune telling and astrology. But when they show up, they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? At the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, the Magi show up and they name Jesus King of the Jews. The last time that that phrase, King of the Jews, appears is at the end of the Gospel. When Jesus is on a cross and they affix above him, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. It's a title of mockery. But what's interesting is in Matthew 27, is that there's one guy that that's not a mockery. He's the Roman soldier, the Roman centurion who overseeing the crucifixion. And he looks up at Jesus in his greatest moment of weakness. He looks up at him and he says, truly this man is the king of the Jews. Another unlikely shady foreigner who the light shines on. These guys they're not the expected. They're not the expected guests at the party. People would have looked at them a little cross-eyed. If they walked through the doors, you'd probably be like, who the heck invited these guys? But they saw the light, and they journeyed with joy, and they came with gifts, and they recognized it's the weird foreigners who recognize that Jesus is the king before even the king of the Jews recognizes that. And so we come humbly today. We come humbly. Let's bow in prayer. We come humbly today, Father, and we recognize what the wise men, what the magi recognized so many years ago, and that is that Jesus is the King. 
we have come voluntarily, well, some of us have come voluntarily, most of us have come voluntarily. We come voluntarily today to worship Jesus, to say, he is my king, we bow down before him, we give our gifts of worship, we consider what more gifts we can give, and we raise our voices to glorify you. We love you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.